Welcome in, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me. Today, I'd like to talk about Buddhist monasticism, its challenges, its rewards, a little bit about my experience uh, spending nine years as a Buddhist monk. Some of you new to this YouTube channel or new to me or my podcast might not know that, uh, that I was a Buddhist monk for a pretty sizable chunk of my life. And so I get this question a lot. A lot of people ask me once they find out I was a monk, they ask, they usually ask me, uh, what was it like to be a monk? <laughs> you know, cause it's something so, so foreign, um, in, in our modern culture. And I think also very few of us outside of, um, uh, Asian Buddhist traditions, you know, those of us born in the West, but who are practicing Buddhists, so few of us get to experience um, monasticism in that life. I also find there's a lot of misconceptions about it. Um, there's a lot of like, um, like Hollywood ideas of what a Buddhist monk is. And um, I didn't find too many of those to be true, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so I thought to share it. And, and, you know, most of you are not monks. Well, probably all of you are not monks or nuns listening to this. So I'd like to also share like what why does this matter for for the average, you know, meditator or Buddhist practitioner who's never going to be a a monk or nun in their lifetime. Um what are some takeaways that can help us cuz obviously now I'm not I'm not a monk anymore. I returned my monastic vows in uh 2017. So the short answer uh when I would get asked, you know, what was it like being a monk? Uh the short answer was it was a lot like a a long-term relationship. <laughs> Uh, a long-term romantic relationship uh, in the sense that, you know, any of you who have been in long-term romantic relationships, even though there's another person involved, there's a lot of ebb and flow. There's a lot of ups and downs. There's, um, you know, challenges uh, to meet within communication, within lifestyle, within finances, all kinds of stuff, right? And um, so it's it's kind of a work in progress, I find, in my uh, long-term relationships to to partners in my life. Uh, and of course, as a monk, I didn't have a partner, but it was like I was married to myself because I took a vow of celibacy. That's one of the vows we we pledge to as a Buddhist monastic. And this vow of celibacy was incredibly powerful because, you know, usually as humans, as soon as we say no to something, it's like we see that thing everywhere. And as soon as we put up a boundary, automatically we're, we are challenged by, you know, wanting to break that boundary or struggling with that boundary or, or whatever it is. So I think, you know, that's kind of what I meant by the Hollywood version of like the peaceful, serene monk. Definitely that was not me, <laughs> for those of you who also knew me during that time. And I was pretty honest about that. I, I think the worst is when people kind of fake, you know, who they are in their spiritual practice. And for me, I just really wanted to use it to grow as a Buddhist practitioner. And so what I found initially was that it was, it was a lot like, you know, the relationship to my own thoughts and mind and, and, and emotions and desires and all of that just became front and center because I was alone a lot more. And, um, I was in retreat a, a lot as a Buddhist monastic. So that was another real, uh, reward or benefit I got. You know, not all monks or nuns do that a lot. In Tibetan Buddhism, usually they go to a monastery where they enter a study program. Um, not unlike, you know, um, a bachelor, graduate, doctorate kind of situation. And so they end up, you know, earning the equivalent of those kinds of degrees and usually beyond within monasteries. And then some will go on to meditate in retreat. Um, my teachers at the time uh, recommended retreat. They said, um, just go, you know. And, and so so I, I ended up spending a lot of time alone 
in uh, isolated, you know, not not unlike this isolated <laughs> natural situations, which again bring can bring up this image of uh, like the fantasy of being so peaceful and all that. Actually, for me, it was like it was like it was torture sometimes because I'm just there with my thoughts and my emotions, and it's not like you know I put on monastic robes and changed immediately. It took time uh, to 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 change you know, or, or, or understand who I was in the world and also be able to work with the boundaries of monastic vows. Now, celibacy isn't the only boundary. Um, we have uh, a certain amount of precepts depending on if we are a novice monk or a fully ordained monk. I was a novice monk. And, and so, you know, we have, we have four main precepts. Um, but the whole idea here is, and, and this is really what I want to share beyond that it it really emphasized this, this, it, it made it very like, it was really in my face, this sense of, or this relationship to myself and all the things I didn't like about myself and all the ways I struggled uh, with, um, you know, my thoughts, obviously, but, you know, even sort of low self-confidence, uh, my sexuality, of course, all of that was at play. And I think, you know, what I learned the most is, is, that's how we grow. If we're not rubbing up against our situation, if we're not rubbing up against um, our habit patterns, um, our, our, our behaviors, our ideas of what we think is, is right and wrong, we don't grow. So for me, that was probably one of the biggest rewards of just rubbing up against, um, you know, my own challenging emotions and, and, and sort of things I wasn't aware of until I was able to go obviously into retreat a little bit more, meaning in Buddhist retreat, we, we spend upwards of, you know, eight or more hours in meditation and, and you know, um, sometimes some kinds of prayers and, and different activities uh, that are related to meditation or study. So it, it's a lot, you know, um, you know, it's that's challenging within itself. And then, you know, being I remember when I was a, a new monk doing that, like I said, there was just a lot of challenging um, emotions arising, just seeing a lot of myself that was honestly, um, a lot of suffering, or, or I could say like painful parts of myself, uncomfortable parts of myself. And normally we don't want to see that, uh, whether we're taking on Buddhist monasticism or not. You know, we don't want to be uncomfortable. And what I've learned through Buddhism over the years is that actually this is where we grow. And so often for me, what separates a a more uh, liberative meditation practice from just like a feel-good meditation practice is that the liberative practice ends up, you know, putting us into confrontation with uncomfortable parts of ourself or how we view the world or beliefs or whatever. So rather than taking on new beliefs, it's more about confronting, you know, our judgment, confronting our mind in, in, a, in a compassionate way. And then through that, through, through those edges, we grow. Um, for me, Buddhist monasticism was just sort of like putting that, in, you know, like, like just, just, you know, supercharging that experience. And um, it was so valuable for me, other than the rewards of getting to, you know, deal with, with my own mind and, and habits. Because when, when I took on the boundary of, of the, the vows of Buddhist monasticism, then there's this, this sense, again, where the mind rebels a little bit. And then, you know, I had to work with that. I was also wearing uh, Buddhist monastic robes. If you've seen a picture of the Dalai Lama, that's that's kind of the color and the style of robes I was wearing from the Tibetan tradition. And, you know, so you're, it was kind of like a walking billboard for Buddhism for many years. So, you know, in, in very 
wonderful ways. You get stopped a lot and, and people are kind of curious who is this kind of, you know, weird looking <laughs> American Buddhist monk. And, um, and, and, and they would ask, you know, really genuine questions from their heart about meditation or about struggles they're going through. So those were really wonderful experiences, but also it was very challenging to, you know, be stared at all the time. It's like, you know, kind of like wearing my Halloween costume like year round, but it's not a costume for me. It's like, it's, it's one of the vows is to, is to wear the robes because it separates a Buddhist monastic in what they're doing with their life from others. Not in a bad way. It just makes a distinction. So other knows, others know what you're doing. And you're reminded of what you're doing because it's very easy to slip back into our old habits. So that was a challenge because I didn't have anonymity for, you know, nine years of my life. Um, and part of me liked that sometimes, but but part of me um, w- would have loved to put on some jeans and just sort of like blend into a crowd. Uh, but again, even though that was a challenge, what I want to really point out in this video, because I hope this is the practical part for, for all of us, because this still applies to me whether I'm a monk or not, is that it was that challenge, uh, in this case of not having anonymity, um, that really showed me my mind. And I was, you know, I had to work with that. I had to find ways to, to not struggle within that, to find even joy within that. Um, so, those are kind of some of the more obvious challenges. And then, you know, over nine years, like I said, it's, it's, it's a, it's a long-term relationship with being a monk in this case. And so, you know, a lot of things ebb and flow. I went through periods where there was a lot of uh, a confidence in being a monk, a lot of joy and periods of just, you know, a lot of struggle. And ultimately, as you can tell, I decided to return the vows. That's a, probably could take up a whole nother video. Um, but I just wanted to share some things here with you. If you want to hear more about it, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I don't feel too protective of it. Mainly what I wanted to share is some ideas that cross over whether we're a Buddhist monastic or not. Because I, I think those of you who listen to my podcast and watch my YouTube channel, you know, where you're hopefully consuming this um, or listening to it, <laughs> is, um, is, you know, this is all about how to grow our, our meditation practice. You know, this is all about how to you know, we're not trying to be comfortable. Uh, sorry, I don't want to advocate that we become uncomfortable through meditation. But, you know, naturally, we're going to hit parts of ourselves that are uncomfortable. And with meditation, it's like, it's like aiming a big lens at our mind. And, and I really, you know, want to uh, recommend and advise all of you who are listening, like lean into that. I mean, you know, gently, not all at once. See if you can reframe that that's, ne- that's you know, that's actually a good thing. And, um, you know, whether we're a Buddhist uh, monk or nun or not, when we're meditating, when we're adhering to some principles of ethical conduct, or in this case, vows, like we also have what are called householder precepts in Buddhism. Um, those are powerful because those are boundaries and outlines for not only how to lead our life, because I don't think they're about dogma. They're not about like rules and sin. They're more about trainings in mindful awareness, because when we're trying to keep a certain ethical principles, uh, you know, for example, not, not harming others, like not, not killing animals, you know, like stepping on them, obviously not harming other, other people. Um, you know, sometimes we're going to get angry. Like we're going to want to, you know, we're getting bitten by a lot of mosquitoes and we're going to want to swat a few, but because we have the, the vow not, not to harm them, we're going to think twice. And what this does is it sets up 
that 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 boundary for for our own internal compass to refine against. So I'll say that again. It sets up that internal boundary for our own or it sets up that boundary for our own internal compass to to refine against. I love, you know, anyways, I, for me when I'm in that moment it's uncomfortable just like I'm sure for a lot of you when when I'm refining, but when I'm, you know, just reflecting on it, I love it. It's such a beautiful part of the dharma. Because when we take it non-dogmatically, and it's not about like sin or virtue, it's, it's, I mean, there, that is a play in a sense, cause, cause, you know, there is cause and effect. So we have to be careful with our actions, but it, it's, it's, it's a little bit more like we understand the practice behind it. We understand the principle of like why it's important because our mindful awareness and of course our loving kindness, compassionate, uh, uh, nature begins to grow. And from there we can grow. Uh, a, a healthier relationship to what reality is. We can grow the wisdom nature of mind and be able to cut through our suffering and delusion more. So this all happens because of mindful awareness. So the Buddha knew this. So, you know, he set up principles and vows, whether we're monastics or not, to help us navigate and refine against uh, what's coming up. So I hope that's helpful. Um, if you like this uh, video or, or podcast, let, let me know in the comments on YouTube or, or feel free to reach out to me um, at my website at scotttusa.com. Let me know what you think. If you want me to make more like this, you want to hear more about uh, monasticism. If you have specific questions, let me know because that helps me to also um, uh, make content you like. So thanks so much for listening or watching. Really appreciate it. Have a good one.